Welcome to Open Farm Sunday. Farm gates and barn doors being opened across the country in what could be the biggest event yet. The demand for British produce is ever-growing and we need to be pushing that. More from one farm that you could visit today and why the young farmers are playing a part in today's events as well. Plus later, last week it was sheep, this week South Devon cattle. Originally they were triple purpose breed which means that they were used for milk, for beef but also as draught animals. They were used as sort of oxen if you like. And what question was asked to get this response? Pig muck because when you have a shower it warms up again. The smell of it lingers. All revealed a little later. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It was back in 2006 when the very first Open Farm Sunday took place. Organised by LEAF, the aim was to discover firsthand what it means to be a farmer. I mean, we do our best each week here on the programme to show you what it's all about. This, though, is one day when you can really go see for yourself just what is happening on a farm near you. Last year, over 1,600 farms opened their gates with around 2 million people paying a visit. This year, that number could be even higher. I've been to one farm supporting today's events. It's on the edge of the wash at Holbeach Hearn. Simon Day is the farm manager at Worth Farm. So, Simon, why are you taking part? We've been uh, members of LEAF since '96 and a demonstration farm since uh, 2006, I think. Um, so we've been involved with LEAF from the, from the start, really. Um, and it's been the, the ethos of the business, really, to... Um, the sort of leaf linking the environment and farming and then showing the public around the farm about what we do, how we do it um, and the benefits that we bring to the wildlife on a large-scale agribusiness. Um, so it'll be the fourth time that we've hosted Open Farm Sunday. Uh, the last time in 2015 we attracted just over a 1,000 visitors. So this this year um, we're going to yeah push that and hope for, hope for quite a few more. The last couple of years has been events in the area. Uh, Matthew Naylor at Naylor's Flowers and Older Shores at Moulton hosted, and they've both had over a thousand people. So it seems right that we need to carry on with an event in the area because there's demand and the public want to to get onto farm to understand a bit more about it. So it's it's a great way of doing that. You must be pleased that you know the public do want to get on the farm. They do want to find out what's going on here. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's a very rural area um, people drive past the fields every day and probably don't know what well, might know some crops that are in there but not all the work the planning the preparation the technology that we've got now that's involved in growing the in growing the crops so it's a great way of bringing them onto the farm and letting the there's something for everyone there's the, the young kids that just want to climb over a tractor which they don't get to do any other day of the year really um, and then there'll be the grandparents coming as well and there'll be some vintage tractors from how it used to be done in um, in their day. So, yeah, no, there's something for, for everyone to see and do. And I guess, you know, given the times we're in at the moment, it's, it's important to engage with members of the public and to get that two-way conversation going, isn't it? Get their support right. Yeah, the, the demand for British produce is ever-growing and we need to be pushing that and it's not just British it's safe um, safe food that we're producing and it's understanding what what goes into that that food that we produce to um, for it to be number one picked up in the supermarket shelf over the sort of imported foods um, and getting them on side with tractors on roads there's tractors up and down the A17 and everyone's stuck behind a tractor but if they understand a bit about where they're going and what they're carrying and what they're doing it all helps with um, yeah, with our sort of, not battle, but um, 
our, our work really here. Now a lot of work goes into Open Farm Sunday, you don't just throw open the gates and say come and have a wander around, you've got a lot of people coming as well um, with various aspects that you know people can come and see. So we've got um, Whole Beach Marsh Cooperative Peas, they've got a pea viner and they'll do sort of the static viner sampling to show how they sample the peas and the process that goes through and also the drones and how they're using drones to predict harvest dates. Um, and then Hummingbird as well will bring there with drones to show how they're sort of scanning crops with those. Um, we've got some sheep. We don't have any sheep ourselves, but our neighbours, um, George Thompson Farms, will bring some sheep, so there'll be sheep shearing and some lambs, lambs there. And then neighbouring farmers, we've got Emmett's, um, are bringing a um, spinach harvester and they'll be making kale and spinach smoothies, I think, on the day, so that'll be something different. Mm-hmm. Um, Pickovers, Jay Pickover and Co, the lettuce producers, will be having a sort of display of um, different salad crops and what they they produce. Um, QB Foods here on site will be doing sort of cookery demonstration on some of their new developments. Um, Manor Fresh also on site, um, we're doing a sort of veg display. Open Field will bring the sort of story of wheat to life with the how the grain goes from the farm and what it's used for. Um, then we've got Matthew Naylor and Older Shores are supporting this event, which is great, doing the sort of flowers and onion side of it. Um, young farmers are coming, Hutchinson's are coming with their sort of healthy soils, crop identification. Double Days, local machinery dealer, are bringing the pedal tractors for a little course for the kids to, to enjoy. Um, and then there'll also be sort of our farm machinery on, on display and the AD plant will be open and there'll be people talking about how AD works and what that does for us. Yeah, something for everyone, hopefully. Simon Day there at Worth Farms, Hobbit Hearn near Spalding, with plenty planned for Open Farm Sunday. It's great that all the neighbouring farms are coming together as well onto one side. Now, someone who supports the event definitely is our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. You've had another busy week, haven't you? Yes, morning, Sean. Always busy, always busy. There's a lot to do this time of year. I was down at Stoneleat at an NFU Integrated Pest Management Conference speaking to the delegates down there about how, for me as an agronomist, integrated pest management is so important. And it's not just about insecticide use. It's not just about observing thresholds before we apply insecticides. It's every single thing, because everything has the, the capacity to be a pest in agriculture whether it's a weed whether it's a grass weed whether it's a disease whether it's you know it doesn't matter what it is potentially anything that's in the wrong place is a pest so um what I was talking about is how integrated pest management influences every single decision that I make in my day-to-day agronomic work. Um, and it was a very interesting conference. We had speakers from the Allerton Project. We had speakers from uh, the Voluntary Initiative, speaker from NIAB. So it was a very, very interesting day. And it's just how we take integrated pest management forward and expand it to make it more of a beast. Because... IPM is really one of the tools in a little tool bag that I carry around with me and it it is a significant part of it but it is just one part of a very very big um, system really. Um, so yeah let's move on to Open Farm Sunday absolutely everybody should just get out there go for a drive you'll see the signs just pop into a farm local farm near you um, and speak to the farmers ask them the questions that you're worrying about you've read things in the media you don't know whether they're true whether they're false just speak to people speak to the farmers that's what we're all out there for we have absolutely nothing to hide and we're always happy to talk 
to the general public and reassure you that what we're doing is that's probably the best agriculture carried out in the world is carried out right here in the UK. So uh, I should be going along and I might bump into one or two of you. Stop me and buy one. Uh, right, let's move on to agronomy then. A very interesting week of weather once again. Last weekend, all over the place with the weather. Uh, I took 0.2 millimetres of rain last Saturday. Um, 48 millimetres at Woodhall. I think there were 83 millimetres at Stragglethorpe. Torrential rain fell last week. Um, so that has complicated things because you can't go out spraying, obviously, when it's wet like that. But the, the thing it's noticeable in the sugar beet, let's start with sugar beet, is it has actually reactivated all of this residual which lay, is laid down there. And these sugar beet fields are actually pretty clean. They've grown, I would think, three times in size in the last seven days. And crops that were barely visible in rows are now up to four or even six leaves in the space of seven days warm wet soils you see they can now access all that nitrogen the phosphate the potash the nutrients are all kicking in um, and the weed competition is starting to fade away so that's good a little bit of leaf miner about and quite a lot of damage from things like ethofumosate. We've said that before, but these crops will grow out of that. If you've scorched the outside leaves, the new leaves will come out perfectly happily. And within two or three weeks, those older leaves would be starting to fade away anyway in the base of the crop. So I think a lot to be uh, proud of. I think in the sugar beet this year, meeting in the row now, let alone at Lincolnshire Show, in a lot of these crops. And when you get up to eight or ten leaves, that's the point you need to have kept the weed competition right down low so these crops can get to eight or ten leaves without any hindrance and once they get to that point with the exception of some tall weeds uh, they're not going to make a big impact on yield so just make your decision as to whether you need to go in with one final herbicide to knock out the, the tall weeds like fat hen and some of the crawly cloy weeds like the the knotgrass the bindweed out there but generally speaking quite happy with sugar beet at the moment um, winter wheat winter barley winter wheat we are ear washing now as i said last week you've got a very very fine timeline for controlling fusarium ear blight on uh, wheat because it's as the flowers produce the anthers start to express then that is the time if it is wet at that point you've got to be in there within 48 hours of those anthers presenting in order to get fusarium ear blight control if you miss that timing then everything you do after that is simply a foliar disease top-up it isn't going to control fusarium because once it's in it's in that's the end of it now uh, tebuconazole metconazole prothiaconazole all of those are very active on fusarium ear blight microdochium is another disease which hits us on the ear as well and the strobs are very active on microdochium and don't miss the opportunity to pop a bit of bitter salts cheap and cheerful it costs pence but it will replace the magnesium which we can see is being stripped out of some of these flag leaves and get it into the ear so things are moving very very quickly if you put your flag leaf spray on 10 days ago seven days ago 10 days ago uh, and you touched a little bit of the ear don't just assume you've got ear disease control because you need to watch the weather and you need to hit the complete here in order to get that orange wheat blossomage out there haven't caught enough in traps to even consider spraying and remember what i said last week there is no such thing as a residual insecticide to control that so don't panic about it spring wheat spring barley spring barley awns are out flag leaf timing is upon us don't forget that chlorthalonil is very useful at helping against ramillaria and abiotic spotting in some of these crops and the inclusion with your flag leaf spray on spring barley of astrobilirin can help reduce the amount of 
brackling, but just watch those growth regulators because of timings. You need to make sure you're still safe on some of these crops. And herbicides as well, they do have a cut-off in terms of growth stage so that they continue to be safe to those crops. Potatoes, well, potato blight weather, we're bang in the middle of it. Keep your intervals to seven days. For goodness sake, diversify the modes of action within your potatoes. Haven't seen many aphids out there on potatoes. A lot of small stuff um, just coming through the ground, but just because it's small, it doesn't mean it's not at risk from potato blight. Speak to your advisor, and for goodness sake, get a really robust seven-day programme in place. Linseed, flowering in some places, barely three inches tall. In others, weed control, very very important. Remember, you have to have broadleaf weed sprays on before first flowers, and ideally before that crop gets to six inches tall. Um, and as far as fungicides go, Alternaria linicola is a real threat in linseed. So once the flowers start to appear speak to your agronomist about putting maybe a tebuconazole type material on there but everything is grown like bilio at the moment and it's taking some keeping up with and that light at the end of the tunnel it's definitely getting closer and it does look like the way out rather than another train steaming towards us Uh thank you sean sparling of sparling agronomy services The Friday before last was World Milk Day, aimed at recognising the importance of milk as a global food. One breed that used to be renowned for milking is the South Devon. Not anymore, though, no longer used for milking. The Breeds National Show took place recently at Suffolk, having taken to the road after the end of the Royal Show. Caroline Pulteney is Breed Secretary. The South Devons are a native breed, native to the UK. Obviously, with a name like South Devon, you can tell where they originated from. Um, They're a lovely, big, red, quiet beef animal, and they are the largest of the native breeds in terms of size, and they are known for their docility, their quiet temperament, their milk and their beefy qualities and they do a beautiful job looking after the countryside. They say originate from obviously South Devon but all around the UK aren't they? They are all around the UK now. Really the spread started in the 17th century. They started to spread across the world then but they moved out to the southwest in the 17th century and they started to come up to the Midlands and when the train system started there were a lot of cattle that were brought out of the southwest to finish up in the Midlands on the lush pastures in Leicestershire for example and then people started to notice them and they decided to keep them and breed them themselves rather than just finish them so now we've got herds all over the country and uh, it enables us to put on a national show wherever we go and now the, t- tell us the history of the national show because it used to uh, take place um, at, at one particular event when that vanished you then decided to almost take it on the road effectively that's right i mean the, the royal show was always the cream as mm. far as the pedigree cattle world was concerned that closed its last show was in 2009 and we like other breeds had a lot of trophies that were absolutely fabulous they were keenly contested for and we thought it would be such a shame to lose that so we came up with the idea of holding a national show for our breed and to take it round to different agricultural shows each year so that's what we do so this is our ninth one this year obviously it's pretty successful doing it this absolutely absolutely it's really captured the imagination of not just the breeders but the whole of the breed society and we get lots and lots of people come along who wouldn't normally have access to seeing such a range of of good quality animals at shows the the breed itself obviously very milky 
Very milky. They used to be milked mm-hmm. um, up until just after the Second World War. Um, and they, well, originally they were a triple purpose breed, which means that they were used for milk, for beef, but also as draft animals. They were used as sort of oxen, if you like. Uh, plenty of good history going back of supplying the, um, the, the, the um, naval yards down in Plymouth, and um, cattle would be used to tow timber, for example, down there. And then they, uh, when, when that w- was, was left aside because of mechanisation and tractors and things, um, they became just the dual purpose, which was milk and a beef and very, very rich creamy milk, high in butterfat. And then, of course, the dairy um, industry took off with the Frisians, with the black and whites coming into the country. And so the breed had to move on again and focused entirely on the beef. So that's where we are today. We're a beef breed. And, and how is trade at the moment? How are things doing generally, would you think? Um, well, apart from the ups and downs and uncertainties of Brexit, yes. um, no, things are going well, and things are going well for all the native beef breeds because of their attributes, because they will do well on grass, they will finish on grass, and so you don't have the high input costs. And also you've got the temperament, you've got the quiet temperament of the native breeds, which means in a herd where you've got far fewer resources than you used to have, they can be handled safely, which is so, so important in this day and age. I guess shows like this and, and having the national show as well it's a way of showing what is actually happening on the farm there's a lot of negativity you know there's been certain social media campaigns with you know um, various groups at- attacking almost dairy farmers and saying you're cruel to the animals this is an opportunity to put the other side of the story isn't it absolutely and people can come and see the breed they can get close to the breed they can walk through the cattle lines and touch them and they can really see that they are an animal that is looked after um, i mean no breeder wants to mishandle his animals it's not in his interests and if there were any problems like that he would quickly be vilified and turned out um, so it doesn't doesn't really happen in the beef industry and as far as the dairy industry is concerned I mean I, I'll comment on that um, dairy cattle are kept for their milk they're kept for their beef and they are a, a product and and farmers do not wish to, to mistreat them it costs money if you mistreat an animal besides the discomfort and the distress of it so I think these groups that are just attacking a few miners um, are really seeing a lot of well too much press really Caroline Pultney breeds secretary at the South Devon. Right, let's get the latest from Openfield. Then on the phone, it's Chris Spratt from Openfield this week. Morning, Chris. Yeah, morning, Sean. Yeah, and I think they say due to circumstances beyond our control. <laughs> well, I know how busy it's been, uh, particularly with the uh, fertiliser on Friday. So what, what's the latest from Openfield, Chris? Uh, well, I think this week the wheat market still remains sensitive to the latest weather and, and political developments, uh, you know, and that's keeping the prices volatile. U.S. funds have increased their long position in wheat maize basis, the ongoing weather issues in, in what is the key producing exporting countries, really. And that's been the, 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 uh, the guts of the matter for the last uh, sort of four to six weeks now, really. Russian production, well, that's been the main focus again this week. Um, there's now a range on the wheat crop there of 65 to 78 million tonnes, so 12 million tonne range between the various analysts. Well, as we know, the UK crop's probably only 14 to 15 million tonnes, so a big variation. Uh, I think most people seem to be settling around about the 73 million tonnes, and if you want to compare that to 85 million tonnes last year, then they are going to be significantly down. Um, nevertheless, what's causing the concern is I think the weather in southern Russia remains dry, uh, increasing temperatures there, spring wheat planting areas in the northern regions, that's still falling short of people's expectations, still cold and wet and uh, really curtailing their drilling window. Australia, that's had some rains, but more's needed. 
Uh, and then if we look to northeastern Europe, Germany, the Baltic states, Poland and, uh, and Denmark, and actually it's starting to turn a bit too dry there. And that is uh, the flip side of what we're um, seeing and hearing from some of our growers that are actually in France at the moment, where, um, you know, there's been heavy rains there. Um, and there is a bit of concern creeping in there due to due to that weather. And, uh, well, some people are, I think, probably um, prompting comparisons uh maybe a bit prematurely against the 2016 crop, which did see their yields fall and uh, quality evaporate quite significantly as we got towards harvest. Uh, as far as the UK prices, well, they, they remain steady on the old crop uh, positions. I think the trade generally are reluctant to sell uh, to consumers unless they can secure physical supplies. Um, and, you know, imported still is, uh, is being talked about. Uh, consumers on the flip side of that, they're reluctant to cover new crop at what they perceive to be inflated prices. Um, but I think growers for the time being, where they have done a little bit, they've sold that at uh, reasonable prices and uh, for the time being sitting sitting back and waiting to see the outturn of harvest. Next Tuesday we'll see the latest USDA report uh, and that will give us a bit more direction. The fund managers and the trade will be certainly looking at that one closely. As far as prices are concerned, July feed wheat 162 to 168, old crop milling premium still in the 10 to 12 pound uh, premium range. Harvest feed wheat 153 to 159, with November 157 to 163. And May 19, 165 to 169 X farm. Old crop feed barley, well that price now is a bit hit and miss really. Uh, if there's a buyer there, they should be paying somewhere in the region of 100 to 145x, but a lot of people getting finished now and have withdrawn from the market. Harvest feed barley, 132 to 136, with November 142 to 146x farm. All seed rape on the old crop for the small amount of stock that remains out there unpriced, 285 to 290, but the window of opportunity is, is just closing there now with harvest uh, 285 to 290, so similar sort of price, with November 295 to 300. As far as feed beans are concerned, well, old crop, there's just a one or two bids there now into the northwest and southwest, uh, but new crop for November in the region of 175, John. Thank you. Chris Spratt from Open Field. Earlier we heard from Simon Day at Worth Farms, one of many taking part in Open Farm Sunday this year. He mentioned the involvement of young farmers, key to the industry's future. Well, they're playing their part, as you might expect. Matthew Denby is chairman of the Lincolnshire Young Farmers. They held their annual rally at Carrington last weekend. He's busy setting up at Farmer Brown's near Alford, but has time to join me on the phone. Matthew, as I say, young farmers heavily involved in Open Farm Sunday, aren't they? Farms have got um, several clubs out around the county. In fact, um, there's five clubs at um, six different sites. So we've got Spalding Young Farmers at Worth Farms at Hall Beach, Horncastle at, uh, at um, Reevesby Estate, uh, Market Raisin have got two teams out, would you believe, and one's at Uncle Henry's at Greyingham and the other at Sutton Estates at Staten La Vale. Um, Laufing Farms are at Sutton Estates as well with, um, with Market Raisin. And then uh, my home club of old young farms are at Farmer Brown's Ice Cream at Hutoft. Um Each club are doing their own things, but, um, you know, the sort of things they'll be doing is just uh, educating youngsters and uh, not-so-youngsters on agriculture by using things like um, our Watch the Cow Pat um, educational board game and sort of, um, it's a bit like Twister, but um, try to educate the public on, on farming and agriculture whilst we go along. 
but there'll be various different things. Uh, young farms are facilitating tractor and trailer rides and mini, mini digger challenges and all sorts. So um, there'll be a lot going on. And it's an important event, isn't it, to you know open the farm gates up to promote not only the young farmers but agriculture in general. Yeah, that's right. You know, we're not doing enough to educate the public on um, on where our food comes from, and there's too many people thinking that it comes out of a, out of a packet or from the supermarket. So this is just doing our bit, uh, um, and it's obviously working. You know, we're getting a lot of people through the gate to open farm Sundays, and it's got to be good stuff. And it's great so many young farmers are getting involved as well this year. Yeah, I, th- I think we are up really on um, involvement with Open Farm Sunday with, uh, across the county, which is nice to uh, nice to know. It's um, yeah, you know, it shows that it's not an ageing industry, and that you can get involved in it. It's a fun and uh, exciting industry that can um, be very rewarding indeed thank you matthew matthew denby on the importance of young farmers at today's open farm sunday there are plenty of farms opening their gates not just in our part of the world but across the country you can check out our website for a list of them the farming program five-day forecast yeah it's actually looking quite good for uh, open farm sunday pleased to say sunny spells maybe some cloud in places 21 celsius the high the wind from the northeast at about five miles an hour clear skies at first overnight clouding over first thing in the morning we're looking at lows of around nine the wind barely noticeable from the east at about five miles an hour Sunshine to start Monday, but it will cloud over come the afternoon. 19, the high, staying dry. The wind from the east, 10, maybe 15 miles an hour. And then uh, through Monday into Tuesday, we're looking at uh, a little bit of clouds, still some clear skies, temperatures around 9 Celsius, and that wind from the north-northeast, 10, maybe gusting at 15, 20 miles an hour for a time. Tuesday, plenty of sunshine. We're looking at highs of 18 Celsius. The wind continuing from the northeast at about 15 miles an hour. Then a little cloudy at first overnight, but clear skies come Wednesday morning. Lows of around 9 Celsius. The wind from the north at about 5 miles an hour. Further sunny spells through Wednesday. Maybe a shower in places. 19 the high. The wind from the east at 5 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week, mostly dry. Maybe a few showers to the latter end of the week, though. We're looking at uh, daytime highs of around 22 Celsius. Lows of around 10 degrees. And that's the forecast. It's cereals in the week. We'll have uh, highlights on next week's programme. But today is, as we've mentioned, Open Farm Sunday. So I'm going to leave you with a question. What's the smelliest thing on a farm? You can go and find out for yourself by going to one of the farms opening their gates today. But uh, here's the answer Rob Hammond got from the young farmers at last weekend's rally. Until next Sunday, have a good week. Pick them up, because when you have a shower, it warms up again. Yeah, but I thought they were clean. The smell of it lingers. Sewage sludge. I'd say it's the cow poo, definitely. That's pretty strong and very rich, actually. And if you get it on your shoes, it's not really that nice. You're blaming the cows. I'm blaming the cows. <laughs> Sometimes it's the boys as well. The boys and the dads, when they come in for tea, that's not great. Either. I can imagine that, yeah, after a hard day's work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And all the oil and grease everywhere, that's not great. When you get a rotten potato. Oh. That smells pretty bad. No one said that yet, though. No, that smells pretty awful, yeah. A rotten potato, and I think carrots are the worst as well. If you get rotten carrots, they're the ones as well. Probably chicken. It's got to be chicken. Oh, the poor chickens. Or maybe duck. What, the ducks? No, duck aren't too bad. Chicken. Tell you what, though, pigs, they're clean. I know people think they smell, but they don't, do they? They don't. They're ever clean. The smelliest thing on a farm, chickens. Chickens. Got to be.